In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Gospel of John opens up with a beautiful description of the Lordship and Majesty of Jesus Christ by echoing the very first words of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ was not a created being by God, but was present with the Father and the Spirit in the very act of creation. And in Genesis, we see God's creation unfold by his spoken word. Eight times in Genesis 1, we read the words, And God said, and whatever is spoken of happens. But even though John was writing of the glory of the Son of God as he opens his gospel, he's unintentionally correct in another area as well. As far as the history of technology, language, and communication is concerned, in the beginning were words. A crash course in the history of human communication is way beyond the scope of this podcast, so please forgive me in advance if my generalizations are too simplistic. But in general terms, words have been the dominant mode and medium of communication through the majority of human history, and advances in technology have typically revolved around making words more powerful and permanent. Now, the exact starting date for when people figured out how to write is up for debate, again, beyond the scope of this podcast, but one generally accepted idea is around the 4th millennium BC, the Sumerians figure out a way to start writing, and from there, words went from being communicated with our mouths and heard by our ears to now something that could be written with our hands and read by our eyes. There were ways of communicating with images well before writing, the drawings in the rocks of caves, the rise of Egyptian hieroglyphics being two obvious examples of that. But at the end of the day, the world began to revolve around the technology and mediums centered around speaking and writing. Of course, those who could read and write would start off as a very small and select group of elites, often tied to religious and political roles, but even those who couldn't read or write in a written language understood that language when those words were read aloud to them. It's a scene we see several times in the Old Testament where the people of God are gathered together to hear the law read before them by someone who could read aloud in the language that the people spoke, and one such instance of this occurs at the end of the book of Nehemiah. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. It's a common misconception that the God of the Bible is a God who is opposed to human ingenuity and progress, and that advances in science and technology are of no importance to him because he's just going to do his own thing. And yet, this scene in the book of Nehemiah, and a scene that also occurs several other times in the Old Testament, we see the exact opposite thing happen. Far from being opposed to technology, God has chosen a particular form 
of technology, writings contained in books, as the means by which he reveals himself to his people. In fact, God loves this medium so much that his revelation would be written and recorded completely in a set of historical records, poems, letters, and other documents compiled together in what we call the Bible. And he's seen fit that his kingdom would be spread forth, not through images, but through a proclamation of a message. And we call that message the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Heidi A. Campbell and Stephen Garner explain, The adoption of the Papyrus Codex, a precursor of the book, marked the acceptance of a particular expression of media technology that became a significant part of Christian identity and the Christian church. Moreover, the physical form of the Codex, seen as containing the sacred writings and accounts of the faith, became so significant that its protection and veneration were causes of martyrdom. In addition to the Hebrew scriptures, Christian accounts of Jesus of Nazareth and his followers and helpful letters to churches were collected together and declared the sacred word of God. Thus, a form of technology found in the Codex and the book made its way into the Christian church and shaped the faith itself. Once the establishment of the canon was complete, the focus shifted not from writing and recording more revelations from God, but on creating written documents called creeds that would summarize key teachings of the Bible into an accessible and concise expression that churches far and wide could agree on. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and several other documents would be produced that outline essential summaries for faith in Christ Jesus. Not only were these documents created to help maintain the unity and agreement of the church on pretty important matters within Christianity, they were also meant to help pastors teach their congregations about key teachings of the scriptures. Keep in mind, owning a Bible, much less being able to read one, was not an everyday reality for most Christians like it is today. Chances were that unless you were a pastor, an academic, or a politician, your reading and writing skills probably weren't all that great. And that poses a problem when you believe in a Savior whom you personally haven't seen with your own eyes, but whose life, death, and resurrection are testified to in a document that you can't personally read. Combined with the fact that the Bible is a pretty big book, uh, my personal Bible spans nearly 1,600 pages of printed text, and it's not laid out in topical order or edited for topical clarity, and you have two significant obstacles rooted in the medium of a book. But the creeds and confessions overcame both of these obstacles by being documents short enough to memorize by the everyday believer, and being summaries of the most important truths of the scripture that make discipleship a more consistent process. For example, let's look at the Nicene Creed, and let's just see how many topics are covered in this brief statement. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. 
For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Even if you didn't have access to a Bible, or the ability to read a Bible if you had access to one, you learned the truths of the scriptures by reciting the creeds. And in reciting that creed with other believers, you formed a community around the spoken word, which is formed by the written word. You formed the church. We all know how powerful it is to recite something in unison together. You can think of the Pledge of Allegiance, for example. And the creeds of the early church were a means of cementing that collective identity of believers together, regardless of their literacy levels. As we will discuss in later episodes, mediums create communities, and the medium of the spoken words of the creed gave the church a theological identity and a practical community. Now, fast forward a few centuries later, and advances in printing technology would be the means by which one of the most significant movements in the history of the church would take place. And I'm talking about the Protestant Reformation. By the time Martin Luther nailed his copies of the 95 Theses on the castle door of the Church of Wittenberg in 1517, the Gutenberg printing press, created by Johannes Gutenberg around 1440, had been widely adopted and was giving birth to the earliest expression of the press. The ability to now print books at a significantly cheaper cost and at relatively quicker speeds opened the door for an explosion in literacy, as more people now had the chances to own books and, of course, had a greater incentive to know how to read those books. It also opened the door for the first time in the history of Christianity, for the Bible to become a book that minister and layperson both could read and understand. And long before Martin Luther began printing his German translation of the Bible, William Tyndale would labor long and hard to do the same in the English language. Where the ability to publish written material had been Previously confined to the control of the church and the state, the printing press made that privilege more widespread and readily available outside 
of the upper class, something the reformers would take advantage of as they published their religious literature and distributed it to the masses, knowing that persecution would happen, but that the Catholic Church couldn't completely shut down their operations. It's not an exaggeration to say that the Protestant Reformation, in addition to being a theological movement, was also a media revolution, and that this wouldn't have happened without the advent of the printing press. Christianity is a religion based on the spoken and written word. We believe that God spoke creation into existence. We believe that God spoke to the patriarchs of Genesis— to Moses in a burning bush, to the Israelites through the written document that we call the law, through the Psalms, the prophets, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the letters of Paul, Peter, and John, and that all of these documents are inspired by the same Spirit, despite being written by dozens of authors and over the span of several centuries. We believe God still speaks today to his people through that Bible which is part of the reason why we call it the Word of God. Whatever visual descriptions we get from the Bible, we don't get them in the form of drawings or illustrations, but from detailed explanations of their design or appearance. Christianity has never been a religion where the substance of our faith is based around a visual medium of some kind. Uh, Aside from those who lived and walked with Jesus, those who came before him— believed in the coming of the Messiah by faith, and those who have come after him believe in his return by the same faith. And this faith is made known to us through the medium of the written word. Yes, at one point, there was a majestic and beautiful temple that the people of God would have seen every day, and there's been quite a bit of ink spent to describe what that would have looked like. But as the author of Hebrews makes clear, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The temples, with its sacrifices, pointed to the true and greater sacrifice and priestly service of Jesus Christ. And now that Christ has come and atoned for the sins of the world, we receive this blessing not by sight— but by faith, a faith shaped and formed by a book and the words in that book. At this point, it should go without saying that at any time there are improvements in technology that allow for the transmission and communication of words, Christianity stands to benefit from these improvements. Radio, uh, which is one of the most enduring forms of mass communication in modern times, remains an incredibly powerful tool for communicating Christianity in difficult places. And don't even get me started on the wonderful phenomenon of podcasting. Obviously, I'm a huge fan. We're so far down the road from the printing press of the Reformation that we can pay for a tiny miniature household printer for our own personal use if we're not allowed to use the incredibly powerful duplex units up at the office that can spit out dozens of pages a minute. Mass-printed Bibles are still around and still have value and use today, but they're not the most cost-efficient way to make the scriptures available to people anymore. A single PDF document can be shared 
more easily for quite a bit cheaper and you can be put on something as small as a flash drive or an SD card and taken into difficult nations. Although there is something to be said about the differences between digital text and printed text, and we'll get to that in later episodes, it's no secret that the internet has made available a wealth of treasures on the history of Christianity and insight on how to live as a believer in today's world. Yes, it's also made available a wide swath of nonsense, fabrications, misinformation, and even outright lies, and those are definitely legitimate problems to overcome, but thinking back to the previous episode, a technically optimistic view of technology sees the good that can come for Christianity when technology makes the transmission of text, words, documents, books more doable and more available. If we believe, like the Westminster Confession of Faith states, that God makes use of means to accomplish his ends, then means by which the Bible becomes more readily available, sound doctrine becomes more readily accessible, and the history of the church becomes more readily available, are means by which we ought to be thankful for as we take advantage of them, and as we encourage others to take advantage of them as well. But what happens when there are improvements in technology that promote images over words? And what happens when society begins to heavily adopt these technologies that begin to shape our culture not through words, but through images? On the next episode of Breaking the Digital Spell, we are going to look at what happens when a world shaped by words slowly becomes shaped by images. Images that come to them live and in color and in the comfort of their own homes. Breaking the Digital Spell is a podcast that's only possible because of the incredible talent and generosity of my good friend, Andrew Akins. He has handled all of the mixing and the mastering, the music production of the show, and I can't even begin to describe how much time he has uh, saved me in the process of all of this. And also, this podcast is possible because of my wife, Melissa, who not only reads the quotes for these episodes, but has to deal with my insanity as I try to write uh, these episodes out and she can tell me if I'm on the right track or not. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can like our Facebook page and follow the show on Twitter at Digital Spell, where I'll be posting articles and other writings about this episode during the week if you want some extra content related to what I've talked about. And please, wherever you're listening to this, please consider subscribing and, if you want to, leave a review. My name is Austin, and together we are breaking the digital spell.